Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Joshua chapter 13. Joshua chapter 13. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6 in a message I've entitled, Still More to Do. There's still more to do. Still more to do. Joshua 13, verses 1 through 6. Before we look at this passage, let me remind you of one of the most convicting passages in the Bible. One of the most convicting passages, no doubt, in the Bible. Every time I hear it preached, I'm convicted. Every time I read it, I'm convicted. And I ask the Lord and say, Lord, please, I don't want this to be true of me. Please show me if it's true of me. And that's the passage where Jesus speaks to the church at Laodicea, Revelation 3, verses 15 and 16. And he says to the church, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art, what's the next word, everyone? Lukewarm. Because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Isn't that a convicting passage? God said, I, uh, Jesus said to the church at Laodicea, I'd rather you cold or hot, but not lukewarm. And so I ask myself when I read that, am I lukewarm? Am I on fire for the Lord? That passage speaks to the danger and the defect of complacency. The message tonight is about complacency. And I want to be an encouragement to you. I chose a challenging topic to be an encouragement to myself. And I pray it will be to you as we seek to do our best for the Lord. Isn't that what we want to do? to do our best for God, to not be lukewarm. Complacency is a sense of comfortable self-satisfaction. It's to be at ease with where we are. It's to be on spiritual cruise control. Please, please understand, to be complacent doesn't mean you're inactive or doing nothing. It simply means that you're not reaching your potential for Christ. We're not serving him with passion. We're not pressing toward the mark of the high calling of God in Jesus Christ. Complacency is a diminished or dull attitude toward the work of the Lord. We must pray against the spirit of complacency. We must avoid it. We must avoid the danger and defect of complacency and ask the Lord to help us to do our best and to realize that there's still more to do. There's much more to do for the Lord, and it deserves our best effort. The first 12 chapters of the book of Joshua deal with the nation of Israel fighting, fighting in Canaan, their promised land, and, and driving out the Canaanites. So you see that in the first 12 chapters. And then the last 12 chapters deal with them dividing the land and cleaning out the rest of the Canaanites that were there so that they could experience God's ultimate peace and blessing. The Israelites had done a lot. But God says to Joshua and to the people here, there's still much to do. You've done a lot. You've conquered a lot. You've, you've done some great fighting, but there's still much more to do. And we, we can learn from this because our, our work is never done until we see Jesus. And even then when we get in heaven, I, I'm sure God's going to give us a job. So there'll probably be work there. But our work on earth is not done until we see the Lord. And although we've done a lot, there's still much more to do. 
So let's look at this passage, and we're going to see some elements of the story and principles that will propel us to great, uh, greater achievement for God. Some principles here that will propel us, motivate us to greater achievement for God. First one we see in verse 1, and I want you to notice the age of the servant. The age of the servant. Joshua was old, but not done. Can I get an amen on that one? He was old, but not done. I heard a few. Here we go. Look at verse 1. Now Joshua was old and stricken in years. And the Lord said unto him, Thou art old and stricken in years. And there remaineth yet very much land to be possessed. Don't you like how that reads, everybody? Don't you love how that reads? Joshua was old and well stricken in years. He was stricken in years. And the Lord said, You're old and stricken in years. And Joshua was thinking, I got it, okay? I'm old and stricken in years. How many of you can relate with that out there? Uh, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Right now, the young people are saying, okay, this, this, this message is for old people. First of all, we shouldn't be saying the term old people. Uh, you say, Pastor, you just said it. Okay, I should not say that term, okay? I should be sensitive to this because I am one. Pastor Redland just asked me to, to lead the senior saints ministry. What does that say, okay? What does that say about me, Okay. So I don't, I, don't, uh, I don't think that's the best term, elderly, old. I mean, there's some better terms, okay? Let's, let's think of some. Mature adults, okay? Mature adults. Older people. Older people. Say that one with me. Older people. Hey, here's a new one I found online that's, that's becoming popular. Perennial. Perennial. I like that. You say, isn't that a plant, Pastor Zach, like a hydrangea? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it means a plant that keeps coming back, right? So there's millennials and perennials. I like that one. I like that one. Either way, this, this is more than just about old people. <laughs> okay, there I said it. Older people. But I love how it reads. But look at the end of it. He says, you're old, okay, Joshua. You're old. But there remaineth yet very much land to be possessed. Please listen tonight. He says, Joshua, there's more to do. You're not done yet, Joshua. And this can relate to anyone here who's been doing something for a long time. You see, Joshua and the nation of Israel had been fighting for seven years, and it seems as if, if they were, had become complacent. They weren't finishing the job. And so if you're a student, you can relate to this, okay? If you're in high school, you say, boy, I've been doing this academic work in school for years. If you're a college student, you can relate to this. A grad student, you can relate to this. If you're a worker, you say, Pastor Zach, I've been doing the same thing for years. I clock in or I'm a salary worker. I show up at the office or wherever and I do the same thing over and over. And I've been doing it for years. Parents can relate to this. I've been parenting this child, these children. Uh, it, it involves daily duties that I do over and over and over. Spouses can relate to this. We let, we let the, the, flicker, uh, the flame of love die to a flicker because we're not putting the work in like we used to. We're not putting the effort into our marriage. And so because we've been married for so many years, we start to slide and it's almost imperceptible. And the next thing you know, we're so distant. There feels like there's a grand canyon between us. What happened? 
we became complacent in our marriage. So this can relate to anyone, anyone here tonight. It can apply to us as we've been doing things, maybe good things, doing things for the Lord, but it's easy to become satisfied and not passionately pursue the future. It's easy to become complacent. How foolish when there's so much time left in our lives and there's so much to do for the Lord. Moses said in Psalm 90 and verse 12, and he was an older man, he said this, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Teach us to number our days. T teach us to take advantage of every moment that we have on this earth and to put our best into every effort. Teach us to number our days. Look at, let's look at uh, chapter 14. Everyone look at this. I know you've seen this before, but let's, let's look at the spirit of Caleb here. Chapter 14 just one page over in your Bible probably. Let's look at verses 6 through 13. What an encouragement, the spirit of Caleb. Let's look at verse 6 through 13. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I, when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. He was one of the good spies, right? The spies that gave a good report. The spies that acted in faith and said, God has given us this land. What are we waiting for? It's a land flowing with milk and honey. Look at these grapes. Yeah, there's giants there. God will help us with that. That was Caleb. Let's keep reading. Nevertheless, verse 8, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt. There were other spies that gave a negative report. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thy inheritance and thy children forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. Look at verse 12, everyone. Now, therefore, give me this mountain. He says, uh, he says in the previous verse, I'm 85 years old. I still have strength. I'm taking that mountain. Me and the boys, we're taking that mountain. How many of you remember that old song, I Want That Mountain? How many of you remember that one, okay? I love that old song. I grew up singing that. I want that mountain based on this verse. He said, God promised it. Moses promised it. I'm here. Let's take it. I'm 85 years old, but God has given me strength, and I want that mountain. All of us here tonight need to pray for the spirit, the spirit of Caleb to go and reach our potential for God, to not view challenges as obstacles, to not give excuses why we can't do what God has called us to do, but to serve the Lord with freshness and anticipation to say, I want that mountain. Am I speaking to someone tonight who's lost their initiative? Am I, am I speaking to someone who's lost their focus? Am I speaking to someone who's become complacent? We all struggle. Are you looking forward to greater service for God, to stretch yourself in the will of God, to reach your potential for God? So we see the age of the servant, Joshua, and God says, you're old, but you're not done, Joshua. There's, there's a lot left for you to do. Which leads to the second point, the assessment of the situation, which is simple. 
He says, the people, verse 2, have more land to possess. Look at this. This is the land that yet remaineth. And for the next three verses or so, he names these different territories and these groups that they hadn't fully conquered. And if you read through there, and I won't read through there, but if you read through there, you see that the Philistines were still there. The Philistines were still there. And so God says, tell the people that there's still more to do. The assessment of the situation, there was still more to do. You see, the tribes had not completely conquered Canaan. The tribes of Israel had done a great job. They'd done a lot of fighting, but they hadn't completely conquered Canaan. Some see an inconsistency in this passage and Judges chapter 3. Let me just address that and let's look there. Some see an inconsistency, but I think once we read it, we'll realize it's not. So go to Judges chapter 3, hold your place in Joshua 13, and let's see what it says in Judges chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. There seems to be an inconsistency, and of course we know there are no inconsistencies in the Bible. Now verse 1 of Judges chapter 3, now these are the nations which, the, say the next two words with me, the Lord left. Wait a second. The Lord left? Look how this reads. At first reading it, it seems, it seems inconsistent. Now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them. Even as many of Israel had not known all the wars of Canaan, only that the generation of the children of Israel might know to teach them war. And at, a, at the least, such as before knew nothing thereof, namely, there they are, again, the five lords of the Philistines. Now wait a second. Did Israel leave them or did the Lord leave them? Did Israel leave them or did the Lord leave them? Well, go, go back to Judges chapter 2 and it's all settled if, you, if we just read the previous passage and God explains himself in the previous passage to set this up. Verse 20, chapter 2, verse 20, and the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel and he said, because that the people has transgressed my covenant which I commanded their fathers and have not hearkened unto my voice, I also will not henceforth drive out any from before them of the nations which Joshua left when he died, that through them I may prove Israel whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk therein as their fathers did keep it. Yes, I'm going to work in spite of your lack of faithfulness. I'll use the Philistines and their advanced methods to teach the younger generation war. But this passage would have never been written had they not finished the job. God says here, you should have wiped them all out. That's what I told you to do. And here's his point. God is saying essentially, this is an important point. I will work with you. I will do the job with you, but I'm not going to do it for you. I told you, if you go into the land to possess the land, I will work with you to drive out the Canaanites. But since you've stopped, I'm not going to drive out any more of them. I'm not going to do it for you. I'll do it with you, but I won't do it for you. What an instructive point for all of us. Go back to our passage in Joshua chapter 13. Joshua chapter 13. So Israel left these people and God says, I'm not driving them out anymore. I'll use them 
I'll use them to test you. By the way, did they pass that test? No, if you read down further, they married the Philistines and the Canaanites and became corrupted. What happened? And let's not be too hard on them. They've been fighting for seven years. Let's not be too hard on them. They've been fighting for seven years. So here's what happened. And if you read through these passages, it becomes clear. They just became tired. They said, boy, we've weakened the Canaanites. They're not going to be a problem. Why fight if we don't have to? Look at all we've done. Haven't we done enough? Haven't we done enough? And the Lord says, basically, you haven't. You haven't. Boy, this speaks to me. It happens to all of us. The classic characteristic of complacency is to view yourself higher than God knows you to be. Like Peter when he said uh, to Jesus, I will not deny you. And Jesus said, yes, you will, three times. And he did. And so we think of ourselves higher than, than we should. Another challenge and problem is when we compare ourselves to some standard we've set for ourselves instead of passionately seeking God. We become complacent when we say, look at all I've done. Or look at what I'm doing. That's not the issue. Am I doing what God has called me to do? And am I doing it to, to my best? And everyone in the room needs to ask that question, including myself. Are you doing what God has called you to do? Am I doing what God's called me to do? And am I doing my best for the Lord? My spirit-empowered best for God. Sometimes we compare ourselves to a standard we've set. Sometimes we compare ourselves to others. This also happens when we equate busyness alone with the work and will of God in our life. In an article entitled The Five Marks of Complacency, Pastor James Emery White gives this list of traits. You might want to write this down. I think this will be a blessing to all of us. Listen to these five traits of complacency as we pray against this in our life. He says... Trait number one is to be far too easily satisfied, which we've already addressed. To be far too easily satisfied. Number two, quick to make excuses. We've talked about that as well. Complacent people are quick to make excuses. Number three, to say there's never enough time. And he said it this way. He says, we may be busy, but not doing what is necessary to advance the kingdom of God in the most effective way. Number four, to no longer be teachable, to resist being pushed or challenged. No longer teachable, never enough time, quick to make excuses, far too easily satisfied. And then the fifth one, content with early success. Content with early success. And what he says here is that we we pride ourselves in our achievements in the past. And he gives an illustration of Mike Krzyzewski. Am I saying that right? I think I'm saying that right. The Duke basketball coach. Now, when I was in North Carolina, I I rooted for for Duke. You say, Pastor Zach, they're the Blue Devils. I know. I have a dark side. Don't judge me. But anyway, I I rooted for them. 
I didn't know what a Tar Heel was. I couldn't even figure out what that was, okay? But anyway, uh, the Duke Blue Devils. Mike Krzyzewski, back then, boy, they won two championships back when I was watching them. 42 years coach of the Duke Blue Devils. Always a high standard, always a winning spirit, always doing his best. No wonder they made him the Olympic basketball coach. So he was interviewed after uh, the Olympics and they asked him about LeBron James finally winning his first championship with Miami. So they asked the coach, Coach K, what do you think of LeBron James? Does, does he compare to Michael Jordan? Coach K said, and rightly so, there's no comparing to Michael Jordan. But then he said this, listen. He said, the real question is how finally winning a championship will affect LeBron. Will it quell a fire or light a fire? I like that. Will it quell a fire or will it light a bonfire in his heart? Let's not let the fire die, folks. Let's let God do a new work in our life. Have you heard the phrase resting on your laurels? That dates back to the ancient Greek times and Roman traditions when, when a victorious Olympian or a general would get a laurel wreath as a crown and then... Having won his campaign and finished the victory, many of them would sit back the rest of their life, the rest of their career, savoring on past successes, basking in the memories of days gone by. Thus the phrase, resting on our laurels. Unless we're about to die, there is still much to do. More to be learned, still room to grow, still opportunities to serve the Lord. If we think we've arrived, we haven't. We need to passionately pursue the future with God. So we see the age of the servant. We see the assessment of the situation. Last, look at the, uh, the assurance of support. So after God names these, these people groups that they need to expel, look at verse 6 in the middle. Them will I drive out, he says again. Them will I drive out from before the children of Israel. Only divide thou it by lot unto the Israelites for an inheritance as I have commanded thee. Remember what I told you? Just go in there and take care of it. I will do the work. If you cooperate with me, I am with you. I will do it with you. You might say, Pastor Zach, if it's, if it's a matter of a divine promise, why didn't it happen? Because simply, God was saying that the appropriation of the promise was realized in proportion to the degree of their cooperative faith and effort with God. I will work with you. I'm not going to do it for you, but I'll do it as you work with me. You get in the battle, next thing you know, you're going to win that battle. You take, the, you take the initiative and I will, I will come and I will do the work with you. So it is, I found in the scriptures with many of God's promises. They are conditioned to us as believers upon acting and believing. We must believe the promise and then act in light of them. And as we believe the promise and act in light of them, then we see the promise fulfilled in our life. Until then, the promise is just Words on a page. But God says if you'll believe that promise and act in light of that promise, then you will see the benefit 
of that promise. Let me give an example, just a simple one. We all know this passage, most of us do. If you do, would you say it with me? Matthew 6, 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You say, I like that last part, Pastor Zach. And all these things shall be added unto you. But it starts with, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. And there are Christians down through time who have appropriated that promise. And we're not perfect. We're not sufficient. But Christians who have gotten up every day as best as they can. And when they fail, they get back on track. But they get up and they seek the Lord. They passionately pursue the Lord and his will. And God has added to them everything they need. Because they believed the promise and acted in light of it. And so God says here to the nation of Israel, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I will do the work. As you work, I will work. I will work as you work. You work, I work. It's a cooperative effort. God makes this promise to promote work and diligence, not to diminish their sense of initiative and industry. It's a slighted view of the sovereignty of God to say, well, God will do what he's going to do anyway. If it's going to get done, it's because God's going to do it, and so God's going to do whatever God's going to do. That is not biblical, folks. What is wrong with that thinking? The problem is that God in time works through faith and obedience. He works through different agencies, willful humans cooperating with him. Now, he's not, he's not obligated to work only through that. He can work beyond that. Please don't get me wrong. But God has chosen in his sovereign plan to work through faith and obedience. And he says, when I see faith, and there's a passage that says God is looking throughout the whole earth. He's looking for it. There's faith. There's faith. There's obedience. I'm going to show up. I'm going to do something. There's faith and obedience. And then, folks, faith, where there's faith and obedience, God does his work. And when God does his work, it's God's work. It's unmistakable. It's like, how did that happen? Who's with me out there? <laughs> what just happened there? God did that. God did that. It's a God thing that just happened. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Amen. You put your faith in God. You act in faith, you take a step, and sometimes it's like a leap in the dark. You take a step and you say, God, I'm going to do this thing you've called me to do. Whoa, here we go. And then God shows up and you say, whoa, whoa, that was a God thing right there. That was not me. That was God. Yeah, I was a part of it. Yeah, I was in it. But I can't take credit for that because God did it. If it's just me, it doesn't go very far. But when God does it, Solomon had it right. 
You know, in Ecclesiastes, he kind of goes back and forth. It's a hard book to read, but I think he had it right when he said in chapter 9, verse 10, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. And the, and the assumption is God's called you to do it. Whatsoever thy hand is, finds to do, do it with all thy might. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave. Moses said in Psalm 90, not only teach us to number our days, but he ends the psalm by saying this, establish the work of our hands. The work of our hands establishes, establish thou it. Establish the work of our hands. God, we're going to get to work and cooperate with you with passion and vigor, empowered by you. And through your wisdom, we're going to get to work and we're praying that you will take our work and establish it and make it eternally effective. Do God what only you can do with our work. Because you never bless indolence or laziness. We're going to get to work. We're going to do it with all of our heart. And we're going to pray that you will take our work and establish our work. We should never expect God to work if we're not willing to work. So what do we do? Here's what we do. And Joshua was old. He was well stricken, it says. But he got to work. He did, there was more to do. He trained others. He led others. He led his family. He led the nation. God made him fruitful Right on up to the end, praise God. What do we do? Here's what we do. We must be aware of complacency in our life. And I hopefully this message will help us with that. Be aware of complacency. Pray against it. Be aware of complacency. Passionately seek the Lord and his will for our lives. Let's all passionately seek God and his will. Fill our hearts with the promises of God, his presence, his power, his partnership in our life. And then reclaim a vision for each day and the future. Reclaim a vision for each day. Get up every day and say, Lord, what would you have me to do with this day? What can you do through me today? I read an article that, that I thought was very interesting. In 2012, McDonald's, how many of you like a good burger from McDonald's? Say amen. Amen. Fries. Can I get an amen on that? Okay. Strawberry shake. Okay. They're the best. McDonald's. All right. McDonald's. The golden arches. It's like driving home, right? There they are. The golden arches. I know I'm going to get a good meal. Hey, you know what? This article says they're not that way for nothing. In 2012, they spent $2.9 billion remodeling 2,400 restaurants, and their goal was to eventually, can you imagine the money, eventually remodel half of their 33,000 restaurants worldwide. If it took $2.9 billion, do the math, to remodel 2,400, can you imagine how much they were going to have to spend for the total project? The vice president said in the article, we're lagging behind on this. And even though it's a big risk, involves a lot of capital, it's going to pay off because the companies that don't improve eventually die. 
The companies that don't innovate and improve eventually die. There's a motto, improve or die. It works for McDonald's. Now when you drive up to a McDonald's, you'll notice most of them are brand new. The inside's brand new. They've got these new kiosk things that I don't know how to use. Who's with me? Like, what do you do with that? I just want to talk to someone, not push buttons. I want my burger. Okay, they're upgrading. And they're improving and they're still growing around the world. The same is true in God's business. The same is true. We improve, we improve, we passionately pursue the will of God for our lives, or we die, and we die in different ways. I'm not talking physical death, although that may come, we die in other ways. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to go there in my life. I want to get up every day and passionately pursue the will of God and do my best. And so I pray against complacency. Let's all do that tonight. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? My encouragement tonight is there's still more to do. I'm talking to people that I know have done the same thing for many years. Students, workers, parents, spouses. Christian servants in their place of service. The same thing over and over. And God wants you to not be satisfied. Not get to a place of comfortable self-satisfaction. But to pursue the future with promise, anticipation, freshness. To seek the will of God. To stretch yourself in the will of God. God's encouragement to Joshua and the, and the people of Israel and to all of us today is this. There is still much more land to be possessed. There's still more land. There's still more to do. You're not done. Make sure you know what God's called you to do and ask him to give you the strength to do your best.